Hi, welcome to the Shallow Dive on Derech Eretz Zuta, the Little Book of Etiquette, a collection of wisdom from our sages about how to relate to life. I hope you enjoy. Im shomarto picha miloshnahara. If you guard your lo- your tongue from speaking evil. All of your days will be for peace. The Vilna Gon changes the Girsa, Bishalom, in peace. So that's a tremendous blessing, obviously. The importance of, of peace. The, uh, the Mishnah in Uktsin, Per Kimo, Mishnah Yudbeis says, Amar Rabbi Shimon. Ben Chalafta, Lo Motza Karash Barchel Kli Machzik Brachel Israel El Hashalom. God did not find a vessel that can contain blessing for Israel other than peace. So the there's so many different blessings, but in order to actually hold on to those blessings, to experience those blessings, we must have peace. And here in the Bright Cell, we are learning how to achieve that peace by guarding our tongues from speaking evil. Right? It's important to recognize that rhetoric is powerful. And speaking evil can bring war, the opposite of shalom. Right? We, we see that guarding ourselves from speaking evil brings the blessing of peace. Right, it's, it's, it's said in a, in a broad sense, kol yamecha bishalom, all of your days in peace. And that, that is somewhat surprising. Just one factor, guarding one's tongue from speaking evil. The, the strife that is introduced by speaking evil is, is a source of war, the, the opposite of shalom. How can we make sure that we guard our tongues from speaking evil? Of course, there are halachas. There, there's the, the biblical injunction. There are many of them that are rooted in, in this type of activity. Do not speak as a talebearer. The, the idea of speaking Lashon Hara has also Motsi Shemra, whether it be true or untrue. It can be a source of suffering for the victim that has been libeled. And the usage of evil speech should be considered like the usage of war. It, it's, it's something that has to be calculated very carefully. There, there are rare circumstances 
where you have a heter on Lashon Hara, where it's permitted to, to speak evil of another person, but it should, it should be done only within those confines. It's, it's highly regulated by the Torah. And it can never be done gleefully for, for the enjoyment, if it could be said, of the attack on the other. That's, that's never permitted. So by guarding against that, we, we can achieve peace for ourselves. Even if somebody else engages in, in warfare, but, but we will be at peace when, when we have not uh, caused the suffering of others through, through defamation. Actually, the Vilna Gaon again changes this part of the gear, says, well, if a person acts with brazenness in the face of someone who is greater than themselves, there's going to be fallout. It will cause a person to suffer a baheres, which is a form of tzoraas. It's a form of a skin affliction that requires isolation. There's sent outside of the of the camp. They need to purify themselves, come back. The the affliction of tzoraas is not explicitly mentioned in this b'risa for Lashon Hara, but clearly the, the Gemara does say one of the causes of Tzoraz is Lashon Hara. And, and there's an obvious connection to this second, the, the second problem that the b'risa is recommending people avoid. Don't act brazen-facedly against someone who is greater than you. And that's, in general, brazenness is meant to be curbed. A person should very rarely act with chutzpah, but particularly the azus panim, the, this, the uh, strengthening of one's face in, in a sense of, of opposition against someone who is greater than them, is is a flaw that leads to their own downfall. A person who recognizes the greatness of the person they're interacting with and nonetheless interacts with them in a brazen manner, so, so they're, they're undermining their, their own social connection and potentially De destabilizing the social connection with others and be some, beyond this just simple uh, interaction. So baheres is, is something that's a, an affliction that requires that they isolate themselves. So the, the, the brazenness against somebody that, that you know is greater than you is, is something that 
is coming from a place of, of a breakdown, a social breakdown. The person, we find the classic example of this by the rebellion of Korach. The rebellion of Korach, you have Dasim and Aviram being summoned to Moshe, and they rejected that summons. They acknowledged his greatness. Korach also acknowledged Moshe's greatness. And the position was, if we meet with him, there will be a resolution. But we don't want a resolution. We want to maintain this opposition. They recognized his greatness and saw that by continuing down that path of following through on that recognition, it would achieve a goal that they were opposed to currently. So they, they decided to be brazen. And it was very destructive. And in that instance, we don't find Baharis, but even more severe, that the machlokas, the discord, led to the, the swallowing up and the death of many uh, because of this opposition to the one they recognized was greater than them. Baharis. And that every, every time, Loshnahara also is can bring by Harris. They're, they're similar in that they're, the Azazpanim and Lashonahara dissolve the bonds of society. The social bonds are, are, are not maintainable if there's attack, the verbal attack, Lashonahara, a man against his friend, or the brazenness of somebody against someone who is greater than them. If a person holds themselves back from a matter that is an imperative, a mitzvah, they must do it in order to connect to God. This is the fulfillment of what they should do, and yet they hold themselves back. For what purpose? Midvaravera. for the purpose of, of pursuing some type of sin. So this is not doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. What is the consequence of that? Sof mesa ishtacha If a man does this, in the end, his wife will die in plague. And this is borne out by the verse in Yechezkel Shinema by Ezekiel chapter 24. God informs the prophet Ezekiel, Behold, son of man, I am taking from you the delight of your eyes, meaning his wife, in a plague. That's the conclusion of this bride This last clause over here, holding oneself back from doing the right thing, engaging in sin, that's very clear. This is something a person shouldn't do. It's somewhat perplexing that this could cause the death of his wife. What did she do wrong? Why should she die? 
And I would say the, the, the case story of Yechezkel is also perplexing. Yechezkel is a prophet of God. What has he done wrong? How is he the poster child for this case? I understand that his wife was killed in a plague. Did he hold himself back from a mitzvah, engage in sin sin instead? So the the b'risa does not give any any further information here. This is the entire b'risa. We find elsewhere that a person's wife can be considered a collateral for him. It's, it's a surprising idea. We also find a person's minor children can be collateral for him. One of the interpretations of Baruch Shepatrani, Melon Shazu, there are two basic interpretations. When, when a bar mitzvah happens, the minor becomes responsible independently, and there's a decoupling in terms of responsibility between the father and son. The son becomes responsible for himself. The father is no longer held to the same degree of liability for the son's failings. And as well, the son is no longer held as collateral for the father's failings. Both interpretations are brought in explaining this blessing. Blessed is the one who has exempted me from the punishment of this one from being a source of, of punishment for him or being punished on his account. Either direction. There is a decoupling that takes place with a bar mitzvah. But we don't find such a decoupling uh, for a spouse. We find that a spouse can potentially be collateral for the sins of the, the other. The, the unity of a husband and wife is that profound. It, it's, it's hard to fathom. The, the classic svara, Tovya Chata, Zagad Menagid. Tovya did the sin and Zagad gets, the, gets the, the lashes. That's not fair. There must be a merger between the two entities in order to justify collateral damage. Right, the husband and wife must be acting together. Ishto kegufa, a man and his wife are united. It's, it's still, it's, it's a shocking consequence of that unity that you can have collateral damage. There's a famous story with Ryan Cutler that his wife broke her leg and he felt that the cause of that was that he had spoken too sharply against the Hassam Sofer. He disagreed with the Hassam Sofer and he spoke too sharply in his disagreement. And the consequence in his mind was that it led to his wife's leg being broken. Right? She didn't say anything in the shir. <laughs> what, what did she do? This the idea that we find that, that a, a woman can be held as collateral for her husband's failings shows the unity. It's, it's, it's an outgrowth of that unity. What, what was the circumstance that Yechezkel 
is being the, the example. What sin are we talking about? What negation of command are we talking about? As far as I know, Yechezkel was, was a righteous man. He was a prophet of God. In order to be a prophet of God, a person needs sterling qualities. We don't find that Yechezkel is lacking in any of these qualities required for being a prophet of God. The Chidah says in the name of the Arizal that Yechezkel Anovi, Ezekiel the prophet, is from the root of the soul of Cain. Of Cain. And that already gives us an insight into why his wife was taken in plague. Suddenly. Ripped away from him. What happened with Cain? Well, we all know Cain killed his brother Abel. There are various midrashic interpretations of what led to the actual bloodshed. We find one of the interpretations being that they were fighting over one of the twin sisters. Who should marry this twin sister? And that was the source of conflict. And Cain, Cain murdered his brother to be able to marry this sister that was not really rightfully a woman that he should have married. What, what had he done? He held himself back from a mitzvah. It doesn't say what mitzvah vasakta bevera, doing avera. Clearly, the, the case of avera, according to this interpretation with Cain, with Cain, was that he engaged in bloodshed in, in order to wrongfully take this woman as his wife. And what mitzvah? What mitzvah has not been done? What, how are we connecting not doing a mitzvah to doing an Avera? Right? In this case, it's, it's unclear. He's holding, if a person holds himself back from fulfilling what he should do and instead engages in what he shouldn't do, what should he have done? What was the Dvar Mitzvah that he's holding back from? It's unclear. Not, not explicit. We do find that what is explicit is that the offering that he brought was considered flawed. The Torah recalls that he brought an offering, Cain brought an offering, and God did not turn to that offering. God did not accept it, unlike his brother's offering the offering of Hevel, of the Abel. So he held himself back from fulfilling this Dvar Mitzvah. He did not give the offering in a way that was expressing his gratitude to God from himself. He gave the, the, the runty, uh, poor quality produce not the, the fattest of, of his gifts. It was a very poor expression of his gratitude. Reflecting that flaw, he was not, he was holding himself back from a Dvar Mitzvah. Dvar Mitzvah, he should have related to God as someone 
full of gratitude for what he had been given, and he held himself back from that. And that led to this burning jealousy and the, the fulfillment of that ultimately with the death of his brother, by, by murdering his brother. So, Yechezkel Anabi's wife was taken from him. She was collateral for his sin because they were one. I wanted to just mention another point going back to the, the first part that we mentioned of Lashon Hara, that the, the final, the, the Mishnah in Uksin says that the proof, the proof for this idea, there's no vessel that can contain the blessings, all the blessings other than peace, that is based on this verse. God is giving strength to his nation. And God will bless his nation with peace. So the, the giving of strength leads to the giving of peace. What is the giving of strength? Gemara in Zvachim says it means the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah is the O's that leads to Shalom. All of the Torah's pathways lead to peace. So, as, as we said in this example, the laws of the Torah that give us guidance restrict the, the vast majority of ill speech, regardless of whether it's factually true or not. The question is, is this harmful speech warranted and justified legitimate, we need the Torah to, to give us that guidance. By having that guidance, by guarding against issuing ill speech, we will be blessed with peace. Through the oaths, through the strength of Torah, we will have the peace, the blessing of God. And that's, that is the, the Shmirah, the, the guarding, the, the vigilance against a violation of a losaseh, of, of a negative command. There's an, another important approach to avoiding ill speech. How do we guard ourselves from ill speech? Well, we can, we can have through the Torah the protection from the ill, from the negative. We understand that. Look at the, the restrictions, what you can and cannot say. But the Torah also gives us directives. We have Mrs. Asse, positive commands. And one of the positive commands is loving your fellow as yourself. If a person is in fulfillment of that positive command, that itself is the greatest shmira in a, in a generic sense. Of course, in certain cases, there might be exceptions. But in, in the overwhelming cases, overwhelming instances where a person would be confronted with this option of saying something ill of another, by fulfilling the positive command of loving your fellow, 
you automatically be inoculated from the, the negative, from, from saying the, the Lashon Hara, the, the evil speech. My Rebbe Rav Shirkin said his mother never said a word of Lashon Hara in her life. And he also said she never learned the Sefer Chavetz Chaim. She never learned about the technical laws of how to avoid violating the Torah in the realm of prohibited speech, speaking ill of others. And he said, it's not, it's not a stira, it's not, a, not an impossibility. It's very simple. Her, her heart was filled with love. She was mekayim in the midst of a haftal reach so thoroughly that the, the laws of restricting Lashon Hara were not necessary to hold her back from saying Lashon Hara. It doesn't negate those laws. Those laws are there. The Shmira is important. But the Asei Tov, the fulfillment of Ahavtarech HaKamocha, is, is the most proactive step a person can take to ensure that they're guarding themselves from speaking ill in a way that's prohibited. That's, that uh, the, the correct state of being to be in tune with how they should not speak ill. Besides the, the technicalities, which are true and are there and should be learned and incorporated. But the, the most effective tool is So as Yechezkel being a, a, rooted in the soul of Cain, the, the suffering and anguish that he experienced, although he had not committed a sin in his lifetime as as Yechezkel, the prophet, Ezekiel, the prophet, nonetheless, this was in a, in a cosmic sense a fitting repercussion that he should lose his wife in a, in a plague suddenly. Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so Kohelas Pergdalid Pasuk Ches. Yesh Echod Ve'en Sheni. There is one and not two. One and not two. Gam Bein Va'ach Ein Lo. As well, this one who doesn't have a second, doesn't have a partner, he doesn't have a son or a brother. The ain kates the cholamolim, and there's no end to all his toil. He is working independently. Gam eno lo sisba osher. Also, his eye will not be sated with wealth. Lumiani omen. And for what am I toiling? For who am I toiling? Umachasias nafshi mitova, and holding back my soul from experiencing the good. Gam This too is futility. V'inyan rahu, and a matter of evil. That's the verse. We, we already saw the, the pshat in the Pasuk previously. I wanted to turn to the Medrash. Interesting Midrashic interpretations. So besides the pshat-oriented uh, perspective of a miser, yesh echad v'ein sheni, there's one and not two. What's the yesh echad? Zeh Baruch The Holy One, blessed be He. So clearly the Medrash is not talking about a stingy 
individual. According to this interpretation, it's a reference to God. The Holy One, blessed be He. One, and not two. As the verse states, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echot, Ve'en She'en Lo Shutaf He does not have a partner in His creation, in the world. Gam Ben Lo. Also, He has no son or brother. Ach Ein Lo. Ben If He doesn't have a brother, where would he have a son from? Which is an interesting idea. The, the idea, yeah, what is exactly the Medrash's objection? It, it sounds as though the, the concept of Ach as a, a partner, right? The, the, the commentaries explain, even in Shat, Ach can be a reference to a spouse. So if he doesn't have a partner, how can he have a son? However, the Holy One, blessed be He, loved the Jewish nation, and calls them sons. As it says, You are sons to the Lord your God. And He also calls them brothers. says in Tehillim, For the sake of my brothers and friends, the Medrash here is interpreting that as God addressing the Jewish people. So it's not, strictly speaking, correct to view us as brothers to God or sons to God in, in, a, in a classic sense, but in, in light of God's love for us, He calls us Brothers and sons. Right, that's from the Chibov. Chibev Akarash Baruchu. The Ain Kates Lacholamolo, and there's no end to all of his toil. Lacholma Sha'asa Besheshes Mebrashes. To all of the toil that was engaged in the creation, the six days of creation. The idea that there's no end is almost at odds with the six days of creation. I mean, it's six days. There is an end, right? How does it called Ein Ketz for what he has done in the six days of creation? So perhaps what it means is the idea that creation was not set into motion and given an independent existence, but there's a constant creative vivification that God engages with creation. If God wanted to destroy the universe, he wouldn't need to send a very big flood or some type of catastrophe. He would just stop infusing creation with life. And it would immediately cease to exist without any need for destruction. So the, the creative force that God engaged throughout the six days of creation did not end there. There's no end to all of his toil in the sense that God is constantly supplying existence with its existence of outside of God. All of creation only continues to exist because of that continuous uh, injection of, of life and, and existence into creation. In another sense, there are indications that the universe is constantly expanding. Right? The, on an uh, astronomical perspective, that there's no end to creation. Creation is expanding and continuing so that creation was 
created with force to expand and to grow so that it doesn't actually end in, in a sense. It's not, it was not a static creation that, that goes on without further uh, development. For whom am I toiling and holding my soul from good, restricting my soul from good for? Not to cleave to his ways. If not for the righteous who stand up, they proactively get up and engage in fulfilling the divine imperatives, the commands of God, and good deeds before Him, is it not a creation of vanity that has no purpose? Meaning that the purpose of God's creation is for the righteous to cleave to His ways. What is the real creation? Is a creation where humanity lives up to the purpose. And the purpose is lidabek bidrachov. So that's, without that, it's hevel. Without that, if it's not, if humanity doesn't step up to complete creation, as it were, then in a sense it's hevel. So it's not achieving the, the purpose for which it was created. That's the first interpretation in the Medrash of this Pasik. Kohelas Pergdalit. We saw last week the Medrash in Pasuk Ches. Yesh echad ve'en sheni. There's one and not a second. I want to look at another facet of that Medrash. Yesh echad ve'en sheni. Ze Yitzhar. The one is the evil inclination. There's one and not two. There's one power that is working as the evil inclination is drive the ain shani and there's not a second shain lo ben zug bavero he doesn't have a partner in sin and that's that's a bit of a of a surprise right i, I would think that the yitzhara is uh, will, will do whatever he can to get a person to sin what does it mean he has no collaborator he has no partner in sin he looks for all sorts of partners. <laughs> no? Gam bein va'ach einlo. Also, he has no son or brother. Besha shaholech adam lavra At the time when a person goes to commit a sin, eino ro'ashish lo ben shiomos bavonosov. He does not consider that he has a son that can die for his sins. Either, as we mentioned actually before, it's collateral, or that there will be fallout for what he's done that will negatively impact his son. Even if it's not directly as a punishment, but as, as just fallout from the sin. A person who is engaging in sin has tunnel vision. And I think that's what it means. Vain Shaney. The Yitzhahara succeeds by putting a person in tunnel vision, viewing whatever the Yitzhar is trying to get him to do, this evil inclination is focused on whatever the, the drive is towards, that is, in this context, Yitzhahara, it's not, it's not what he should be doing, 
the the drive becomes all-encompassing. He doesn't see his son, doesn't see what's going to happen as a result of these actions. He doesn't see that he's going to mortify and embarrass his family members. He has a brother that's going to say, Oy vey, I have this, this brother that's doing these terrible things. That doesn't concern him. He's entirely self-absorbed and, and absorbed in this drive, whatever the Yitzhar is getting a person to do, in, in a manner that is devoid of, of looking at the consequences. It's, it's one in the sense of all-consuming. There is nothing else outside of it. The Mishnah in Perkei Avos tells us in Perk Sheni, Mishnah Aleph, chapter 2, the first Mishnah, that Vizov mitzvah kalakim b'chamura she'enat yadeya matan zchar shemitzvahs when considering mitzvahs, be aggressive, meticulous, whether it be big or small. We don't really know the weight and value of good deeds. And now on the, the contrary side, how does a person, when confronted with a possibility of sin, how are they meant to consider it? person can, every day, every day of a person's life, a person has choices. A person can exert themselves in mitzvah, in fulfillment of what they should be doing, and there's a cost involved. Every choice has a, a cost. If you're engaged in one thing, it means you're not engaged in something else. The opportunity cost of doing a mitzvah. You can't do something else. So you're losing the possibility of doing everything else. Some mitzvahs cost money. Some mitzvahs cost heartache. It's a challenge. It's hard. But look at the schar. Look at the reward. Look at the consequence of fulfilling this mitzvah when evaluating whether it's worth it. Similarly to Avera. Avera, the, the reward is not so complicated. Is drawn to that there because it seems valuable for one way, reason or another, but it needs to be viewed in the right context. Don't have tunnel vision. Look at Hefseda. Can I get Hefseda? What is the fallout of this sin? What will be lost? By doing this sin, who will be harmed? By doing this sin, what would not have been done, they could have been done in a positive way. So the, the Mishnah is encouraging a person when confronted with the choices. The Yitzhar is always working to encourage a person to follow the drive without consideration. That's Echad Ve'en Sheni. Just look at one thing. This, this is imperative. Nothing else matters. Just do it. The Mishnah says, no, you need to take a step back. Evaluate. Look at what is to be gained versus what is to be lost. So that's the, the opposite of the way the Yitzhar works. Echad and Shein, it doesn't mean that the Yitzhar doesn't collaborate. Of course, the Yitzhar convinces a person that that's in their best interest. A person does something that's wrong and detrimental to themselves and others, it's done with 
a myopic view that, that let's not look at the consequences. Echad ben Sheni. Just one thing. Yeah. Correct. It shouldn't be the motivation. You shouldn't be doing it in order to get the schar. But when, when contemplating whether it should be done, and there's a cost involved, so look at the, the reward versus the, the risk-reward ratio of doing this mitzvah. It's not, it's not that that's why you're doing it, is to get a reward, but in contemplating should a person pursue this, invest themselves in doing the mitzvah, this is a valuable tool because it gives them a perspective on reality that, that validates the importance of using our energies for mitzvah. The Eino Roe, Sheish Lachis Baish Menu Lizganusbo, the person who's contemplating sin in a manner that is tunnel vision, not looking at consequences, not looking at the impact on others, that's how the Yitzhar works. The Ein Ketzel There's no end to all of his toil. B'masov haroim. The Medrash adds, in this context, re- viewing the perspective in this, this Pasuk as referring to the Yitzhahara, there is no end to the toil, to the, to the, the evil of his deeds. And a person who is, is being sucked into the tachbul to, to the enticement of the evil inclination, the drive is is not that there is no fulfillment. the The nature of Yitzhahara is a, a constant quest. So there's there's no there's no end game. In ketzalcholamalo, his eye will not be sated with wealth. Is, is, it's never enough. What, what, he, what he enjoyed through his sin is always fleeting. And for who am I toiling? That's the, in the pshat we saw, that was the, the miser who was pushing himself with no purpose. In this context, it's being personified as the Yitzhahara. She Meaning, why is a person toiling to to fulfill the desires of his evil inclination? What? What? Who? Who is going to gain from this? The person is. Is, is meant to cleave to the ways of God. And someone who does not do that is, is toiling for nothing. This is Hevel. This, this is a, a vanity. It, it is a futility of his energies because he is not using them to cleave to the pathways of God. Okay, continuing to the next Pasuk. Tovim ashnaim in Echad. Two better than one. They have a great reward for their toil. 
So this is building on the theme of the futility of the miser, strength of, of a synergy of, of energies. The Medrash says, in the case where they're toiling entirely, when two toil entirely together, more is accomplished, and as much as Torah is the pursuit of truth, then there's a, a built-in filter against error when there are two coming from different perspectives that are both pursuing the truth. It's better than one. Better than each one individually pursuing the truth. When they work together, they will both benefit from a more accurate apprehension of the truth. If one falls, his friend will stand him up. That's the, in, in the next verse. The benefit is, is clear. People make mistakes. Well, having another person to work there with you will, will help correct that, prevent that from taking root. These three-ply cord does not quickly become severed. That's in verse 12 already. So the, the Medrash is, is linking all these together, uh, extolling the, thematically the benefits of, of one, uh, of, of a unity of, of multiple parties. So two and then three. Chutam a three-ply cord is better than two. Zeharav shemachslem ta'usan. So here the Medrash is, is interpreting it along the same theme of students of truth trying to, to get to the, the MS. What is the Torah having to say here? What is the divine the divine perspective, as it were, to the best of our abilities? The two students working together derive strength from their opposition to each other's errors. And the third, the three-ply uh, cord that's not broken is referring to the rav. When you have a rav, uh, a, a teacher that helps the students when they're both in error, guiding them towards the, the correct way to look at something, that, the, that, that is the, an, an even stronger protection that will not be broken, that the truth will not be lost when you have the three working together. So the, the students trying to figure something out under the guidance of a Rebbe, that is the, the ideal. Right? We don't have beyond the three-ply cord is not quickly severed. Right? That, that is the the height in King Solomon's description here of, of the idea of strength. Two are better than one when they engage in business as well. That's better than, to, than each one going out on his own. Having partners in business is beneficial. A person can achieve things independently 
but more can be accomplished in partnership, in business as well. If they fall, having partners in business gives a, a, a resilience. There are ups and downs, and the, the partner can assist his partner. Each partner can help the other when there's, when there's a challenge in a business. And the Gemara gives another interpretation, better are the two than the one alone, or each one alone. Referring to husband and wife. If each one is alone, then th- that's not the, the same as the two of them together. And the three-ply cord, this is when God is with them. Then they will be blessed with children. Rabbi Yochan Omar Ba'chore. Tovim Ashnaim Ze Amram Vyochevet. Various cases. Amram and Yochevet. The fathers, of, the father and mother of Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. Right? That's. Uh, it's strength, three-ply cord, that they are able to bring forth, leading the nation of Israel. Interestingly enough, the Medrash includes this value of a three-ply cord to governance. Hachot HaMeshulosh, Zeh Sanhedrin. So you have uh, v- various components of governance. Tov mashnaim zeh yosheva and the various officers in the government. They're good, but when they work together, it's better. They can achieve more. Vechotamishulish the the height of of unity is the Sanhedrin when they are working together with the other branches of governance you have the, the highest synergy so the the power of, of three facets of government that can work independently when they work together they can achieve the most and in that vein we also have the, the corollary of that, of what I would say are checks and balances. Looking at verse 12. If one stands up in strength in opposition, the two will, will rein him in. So you, if you have three groups, three facets the two will oppose the one. And that's coupled with So the three-ply cord not being easily broken is it, 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 it's the, the benefit of working together but also the strength of having checks and balances. Yes, they can accomplish more when they all work together. And generally, when they all work together, that's hopefully because there's a, 
a correct analysis that this is what should be done. But when there's discord and one is, is acting in strength, in, in a sense that's negative, the two will stand against him to ensure that that, that is not uh, whatever is being proposed or trying to be accomplished by the one will be held in check by the other two. So it, it can, the checks and balance can immobilize an excess uh, in governance. And that, that's the beauty of the American system of government that in many ways is built and has parallels on the Jewish system of governance. So you have the king, of course, in the Jewish system, but he is not able to do everything on his own. There's the Sanhedrin, as the Medrash is saying, that's the Chutam HaShulosh. The Sanhedrin is necessary to ratify his proposal to go to war. He's, he is the commander-in-chief, but he cannot act unilaterally. So there is a system of checks and balances. One could consider as the third branch, perhaps, we find the Kohen Gadol is involved in communal matters. He's, in a sense, related to governance, that he's involved with tax collection to a degree for communal needs. And the Kohanim in general represent the, the teaching to the nation, and that's a critical aspect of governance. And so that the, the, the division of how to lead is important in that it, it can prevent uh, a turn for, for, for the worse, a, a choice that is, is a disaster when it can be checked if the two other parties recognize the error so, so you have a, a type of insurance against, against mistakes. Tov yeled miskein v'chacham mimelech zoken uksil. Better is the young lad that is poor but wise from the king who is old and foolish. Asher lo yodol he doesn't know how to be careful anymore. He's losing his grip. This old foolish king. So we, we saw that Rashi brings, this is referring to the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara is the old foolish king. A person is, is given, drives from their youth. And to, to look at it from a biological perspective, the executive function of a person does not develop immediately. It takes time. As a person matures, their executive function that restrains them from impulse strengthens as they mature and become fully developed as people. So for just a, an example, it, it used to be popularly considered that infants did not have a sense of object permanence. 
That was the, the dominant theory not, not that long ago, 100 years ago. But it subsequently became clear through further investigation that that's not correct. The infant does still know about the objects after they're no longer there, but the evidence that was interpreted as a lack of object permanence was actually reflecting a different reality, it was reflecting the inability to control an impulse. The infant had acted one way, even though the infant knew on some level, based on new evidence, let's say that the object wasn't there, it would return to the same act before impulsively. There's, there's no corrective restraint based on the seichel, on the intellect, even though it was known already, and it's, there other, without getting into the specifics of the evidence that's built up, but that's, there is evidence that shows that the real problem was a lack of executive function. Just extreme impulsiveness. So th that's the foolish old king, and that he's, he's grandfathered into the person. A person has impulse from the beginning. As we mature, we are given the Yetzir HaTov, the inclination, the drive towards good, that can act as a restraint against the impulse to do evil. And King Solomon is saying that he is better. Tov yelled miskin v'chacham. He is better and superior to the old foolish king that doesn't know how to be careful anymore, is not in control. Right? The, the, the nature of impulse is not to be in control. So this, the, the young upstart of executive function, if you will, the Yitzhara Tov, the, the wise facet of the person that can guide them towards what's right is the underdog from, from a person's development that reflects tov, the fulfillment, the, the completion of a person. It's necessary for, for a person to develop and, and the recognition that, that that is where the shlemos of the person is is critical to a person's success. It's a, it's a parable. The, the person is is the city, if you will, what what they what they choose, what they do with their life. And there's a, a conflict between the young upstart, who is poor but wise, and the old foolish king, that needs to be dethroned. The evil inclination, the impulse to do without considering consequence, without restraint. And looking at the Medrash on the Pasuk. Tov yeled miskein v'chacham mimelech zaken uksil. Medrash says this is the Yitzhahara. Why is he called a lad? And the opposite. Why is he called a lad? I'm sorry. This is the good inclination. right? So as, as we said, the good inclination is called a lad because it does not develop in a person until maturity. 
Why is he called poor? He's poor because he's not necessarily listen, listened to. People might know what's right and they do what's wrong anyway. So he's poor in that he's, he lacks the same power as the Yitzhahara. Why is he called wise? Because he guides people to the straight path. This Yelet Miskin Vechacham is better than Melech Zokin and that's the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination. The Loma Kariosa Melech, why is he called the king? Shakol Shamlo. Everybody listens to the Yitzhahara. That's, that's, he's very powerful. People have drives. One way or another, it's going to happen. People are going to follow their drives. The Loma Kariosa Zokin, why is he called old? Shumizdavid Lomi Al Duso. Vadzik Naso. That he, his relationship to the person goes back to his youth. And it stays with him till he's old. Why is he called a fool? Because if, if listened to, the evil inclination will take a person to an evil path. Doesn't know how to be careful anymore. Because the evil inclination is not guided. It's just the drive, the raw drive. So the consequences, the suffering that is entailed by just following that drive is, is, uh, cannot be avoided. He doesn't know how to be careful of, of the consequences of, of following the Yitzhahara. I mean, the, the, the king is great at getting a person to do something wrong, but has no power over the consequences. The consequences will come, negative consequences, that he, got, he can get you into the mess, but he's not going to get you out of this mess. That's the Medrash's interpretation. The Targum says a Midrashic interpretation as well. Tavu Avram, good is Abraham. Dihu Rabia, that he was a youth, miskin. Poor, and he still had the spirit of prophecy. before God. And he was became acquainted with his master from three years of age. And he was not, did not have a desire to worship idolatry. And he's greater than Nimrod, the wicked king. Davamalka, he was a king. Siv, he was old, vetipish, and foolish. Because Avram did not want to subjugate himself to false powers. This was a threat to Nimrod the king, and he was thrown by Nimrod into the fiery furnace. And a miracle was performed on his behalf, by the creator of the universe. And he saved him from there. 
Vafilo min basar hachin, even consequently, lo havus mandoa benimrod, lizhara od, bedil de lo le miflak le tavasa, dehu falach min le kadmin. And Nimrod was unfazed. He was not able to be careful in spite of the, the clear proof of his error. It was a miraculous salvation to Avram. Nimrod decided not to take this to heart. He's, he's too set in his ways. He cannot correct himself because he's, he, he's too uh, stultified. He, this, this is what he does. He identifies it with himself and, and does not see the possibility of change in spite of what he knows to be true. Tov yeled miskin v'chacham is a desire for understanding better as the young, poor, and wise one. Vatam shivati asayun The advantage of, the, of a youth deep acquisition of, of understanding that is acquired through a, a lack of experience. And in, in order to, to slow down and look at something carefully, a person cannot be on autopilot. And although experience has many benefits, it also has, in a certain sense, a detraction from a, a deep, fresh analysis. If somebody has a certain way of looking at something, and it's a, kind of the path of least resistance, then they're not going to be able to look at it in a fresh way. That's this, this rut. It's kind of the same idea that the Targo mentioned with Nimrod being stuck and set in his ways. The, the lad is the, the opposite. He's, he's poor in that he lacks, lacks experience, but because he doesn't have another path to, to fall into, so he can evaluate it in a fresh way, and that's the the praise of Eum, of examination, deep examination, that that can be most easily tapped into when one ignores their experience. And that, that's helpful when a person is learning something that, to, to achieve a fresh perspective. It, it can sometimes be challenging because they've already done it before, they've looked at it before, and they, they've, they can just look at it in the same way, with less energy. Rabbi Yashaber, my Rabbi's Rabbi, was really, he excelled at this in a tremendous manner. He would look at a Gemara every time, when he, when he gave a share, in an extremely fresh perspective. He was a brilliant mind, but he tried to look at it as though he had never seen it before. And he actually very often learned it differently as a consequence. What he said one year on uh, Gemara was not actually the way he learned it on another year. He had an inc incredible freshness to his perspective that he was able to maintain by pursuing Eon. Requires really evaluating something and investing that energy not looking at the Nisoyan, not at the experience of a previous path. Miskeim is poor. Shalohab lekabim rabosov lekotzer zman. 
he doesn't have the, the wealth of, of acquisition of tradition from his teachers simply as a, as a, a facet of his youth. Because he lacks experience, he doesn't have this, the same advantage of received tradition. And he is wise. He has a good head on his shoulders. The Svarna is learning this as, as the approach to Torah. Shekana bevikuach im A person hears arguments and can evaluate a good argument from a faulty argument. And through that can become a spring, a, a strengthening spring of, of truth. This upstart, as, as it were, is better than the king. He has many packages of teachings of the perspectives of the wise ones of the generation. In that sense, he is a king. Zokin is old. He has seen many actions, many deeds. And he can acquire experience. He has acquired through them. Uchsil, but he is a fool. Bilti bal svar nechona. He can gather together different things, but he doesn't know how to think things through. He's lacking the ion. Asher lo yoda He has no way of progressing from what he has learned and what he has in his hands to anything beyond that. What is the reason for this foolishness? That's leading into the, the next verse, according to the Sfarno. But just before we get to that, the, the idea of this foolish king being limited by what he has, not being able to, to extract from it more, is, is really what the, the difference between Mishnah and Gemara, in, in a sense, or Shemesh Tamechachamim, even more so, a, a person can, can learn, for example, Piske Halachas. They can learn concrete bits of, of rulings. In this circumstance, do this, don't do that. And that's all very helpful for each and every circumstance. But to synthesize to synthesize from those discrete nuggets of, of wisdom and apply it to new situations, that requires eon. That requires this young, poor, but wise fellow. And it's, it's better to, to take that frame of mind, to do the eon, in order to extract the, the application of the wisdom to other cases. Life is full of other cases, constantly confronted with new scenarios. So just having what we were taught is not really enough. We need to, to tap into the yelled miskein v'chacham. That's better. That's how a person will be tov, shalim. Rabbi Meiselman, he gave a marshal in terms of Torah, working along the lines of the Svarno. Somebody who 
can work in halacha has a certain familiarity. Take care. A certain familiarity with what is the, the received not body of knowledge could know piske halacha, but doesn't understand it on a deep level where where it's coming from and how it will interact with other other facets of the Torah. So his, his parable was a person can know how to be a cook and a person can know how to be a chef. He said, what's the difference? A cook can follow a recipe. That's what he said. can read, add this, mix that, cook it in this way. Whatever the procedures are can follow from beginning to end a specific set of, of recipe to achieve a certain goal. That is similar to this zakein. He has what he has, and he can follow the recipe. But a chef can create new delight without needing to follow a recipe. He understands how the different ingredients will interact with each other, in what order, in what, in what method of cooking. And that requires a, a very deep knowledge, a scientific knowledge even, of how things will develop in, in new configurations. That's, that's the, the trait of this Yelid Miskin V'chacham, the analysis that will be a, a valuable to apply what we know to a novel circumstance. That's where you get a chef who can create something without having had a recipe, he knows the, the essence of each ingredient, the essence of the cooking preparations. That's, that's understanding something in a much deeper way. The iun that will yield the, the fruitful development of novel situations.